This is our second message in our series, Leaders and Losers. Leaders and Losers. Last week, we looked at Noah, the leader who lost it near the end. And remember, Noah was a very special man. He was called by God. The Bible says that he was a righteous man. He walked with God. The Bible says he was perfect in his generations. The Bible says that, that he led his family righteously and God had him to, God used him to preserve the entire world. There's probably not a more significant man in history than Noah. And yet after God had used him greatly, after his great victory, he's 602 years old, he plants a vineyard and he gets drunk. And because of his drunkenness, he lived another 350 years, but we hear nothing else about him. That's the first mention of alcohol in the Bible. And so we, based on the law of first mention, we understand that when, it, when something is mentioned for the first time, we learn characteristics about it that are carried through throughout the rest of the Bible. And so if you study the rest of the Bible, anytime someone is drinking wine, it's always negative. There's always negative consequences. 200 verses in the Bible about that. Ruined his life, ruined his kids. His, his grandson, Canaan, and all of his heritage, they became slaves the leader that lost it near the end. I would suggest that you men write down these principles on leadership. You get the CDs and you listen to them. Maybe get yourself a journal about these characteristics of leadership and pray about them because, man, you know, you're not going to live to be 600 years old. But remember, it was after his victory that Noah failed. It was late in his life. He already had grandchildren when he failed. And so we learned some things about leadership we got a definition from uh, Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. A lead, to lead is to go before and show the way. Is to conduct as a chief or a commander, like a general. Is to draw after you, and it's to exercise dominion. So that's what leadership, sorry, that's what leadership is. But sometimes, we learned this last week, God asks us to do something we've never done before. If the idea of a leader is one that's gone before, sometimes God asks us to lead places where we've never gone had Noah ever built an ark before? Had he ever reestablished the human race before? <laughs> Sometimes God asks us to do things we've never done before. We'll see that in the life of Abraham today. A definition that I didn't give you last week is that of a loser. Now, that term wasn't used in Noah Webster's 1828 dictionary. <laughs> but we have a modern definition for loser. Listen to what the dictionary the, the, whatever it is that Microsoft Word uses for their dictionary. Listen to the definition they give for loser. And think about our subject. It says, a person or thing adversely affected by a situation or course of action. Isn't that interesting? Then it says this, secondary definition. An unsuccessful or unlucky person who seems destined to fail repeatedly. Wow. And then, a socially maladjusted person. That might be me. Um, so, we we, based on the life of Noah, we came up with a biblical definition for leadership. What's a biblical leader? A biblical leader is one who, regardless of surrounding circumstances leads his family and those around him to obey God. Isn't that good? A biblical leader is one who, regardless of surrounding circumstances, leads his family and those around him to obey God. And you know whether or not a person's a biblical leader 
by when you see them doing something wrong and you confront them with the Bible and they say, yeah, but you don't understand what's going on. You don't understand about my job. You don't understand about my family. You don't understand. Well, that's almost like saying that the Bible didn't, the Bible considered, God considered everything that we need except my particular situation. And so a biblical leader is one who, regardless of surrounding circumstances, leads his family and those around him to obey God. Now, what we're seeing here as we're in Genesis chapter 12, this is the beginning of the Hebrew race. And so the Jewish people were called out for four specific reasons. They're going to do four specific things. And we could take the entire time today and talk about it, but we're just going to mention it. The first thing that they were called to do is they were to be a witness of the one true God in the middle of universal idolatry. Everyone else was idolatrous. They were supposed to show who the one true God is. If you want a verse for that, it's Isaiah 43.10 and Isaiah 44.8. Isaiah 43.10 and Isaiah 44.8. The second thing they were supposed to do is to illustrate to the nations the blessedness of serving the one true God. I wonder, and you know what I love? The Bible tells us that all these Old Testament stories are given for our learning, for our admonition. And so the purpose of the Israelites is they're supposed to show the world, man, it's great to serve God. It's great to serve God. I wonder, is that your testimony? Man, I'm looking at some of you today, and man, you're looking like, I'd rather be here. I'd rather be anywhere in the world than right here, right now. I wonder if serving God for you is a joy or is it a drudgery? Now, I got to tell you this, I understand sometimes leadership can make serving God a drudgery. That's something that I pray about, you know, I don't want to be that kind of a leader. But serving God ought to be a joy. And so one of the one of the purposes for the nation of Israel was to demonstrate to the world that you are blessed when you serve God. Then the third reason, let me give you a verse for that. You can write this down. That would be uh, Psalm 102.15. Deuteronomy 33:29. Then the third reason for the nation of Israel was to re- receive and preserve the word of God. To receive and preserve the word of God. And Romans 3, 1 and 2 tell us that. That unto the Jews were given the oracles of God. And that is... How many of you have ever wondered why the Jews are just considered special to God? Have you ever wondered that? Anyone ever wondered that? I, I did. And I, I, all, I knew that they were God's chosen people. I've known that since I was a child because I've heard it so much since I was a child. But why were they God's chosen people? Let's look at it. Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. The Bible tells us right here. Romans 3, 1. The Bible says, what advantage then hath the Jew or what profit is there of circumcision? So here's the question. The Apostle Paul, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is saying, what advantage do the Jews have? What is their advantage? Well, verse two, much every way, chiefly because unto them were committed the oracles of God. That's the words of God. That's why God. Remember what God has done. God has exalted his word above his very name. And so the people that he chose to give his words to and then chose them to preserve them through being scribes and things, those people 
they're special to God. They're special to God. Isn't that interesting? That was, that was really interesting to me. All right, then the fourth reason for the nation of Israel, purpose. They were to be a channel of blessing to the world. They're supposed to bless the world. Why? Because they were going to bring the Messiah. The Messiah comes through the Jews. All right, so those are four specific reasons for the creation of the nation of Israel. So remember, in the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through 11 are the history of the human race, and then chapters 12 through 50 are the history of the Hebrew race. Doesn't that demonstrate to you who God thinks is important? Isn't that interesting? 11 chapters for everybody, and then 12 to 52, 12 to 50, 38 chapters for the Jews. I think that's interesting. All right? So, now, let's look at, I want, I want to give you three things about Abraham that will help us. All right? Number one, Abraham's call. Abraham's call. So, let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. I'll tell you what, you know, we are in this Laodicean age. Let me just share something. This is a rabbit trail, okay? You might put this in your notes. Pastor's rabbit trail. Um, how many of you believe Jesus Christ is coming back soon? There's going to be a one-world government, right? One-world religion. All that's coming. Well, we need to understand Satan hates God's Word. He absolutely hates God's Word, and he hates God's people. The Bible makes that very clear to us. He tried to destroy the seed. He tried to destroy the nation of Israel. He hates God's word, and he hates God's people. So think about it. That's why it's so important for religious leaders to say that Genesis is not true. That's why they have to say that Genesis is not true. The last pope said Genesis is not true scientifically. The, they have to do that because if they believe that the church has replaced Israel then they can claim all the promises for Israel and take over the world if they want to. Science has to do that. But I'll tell you, the primary reason that people have to do it is because they do not want the Word of God to be their judge. And so we need to believe every word of it. And this stuff becomes so important to us. And these principles of leadership that we're going to get, man, they are so good. So let's look at Abraham's call. Abraham's call. And we'll go to Genesis chapter 12 and look at verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram. Now here his name is Abram. That, that God is going to change that to Abraham. And, but, so just for ease, I'm just going to say Abraham in the sermons even before we get to that point. All right. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. So here's Abraham's call. The, the first part of it is get thee out. Get thee out. So here's a leadership principle. Leadership always costs something. Leadership always costs something. How many of you wanted your boss's job because it was easier than yours? And then you got your boss's job and you found out it wasn't. How many, any of you? You ever been there? Right? So remember, leadership always costs you something. Um, I think it was either Sam Davison, who is Laura's pastor, or Brother Willette. I, I was talking to him about something when we were hiring staff and training and that kind of stuff. And he said he's never saved himself any time by hiring staff. 
Because hiring staff, what it does, it gives you another responsibility. Now you've got to train the staff and oversee the staff and all of those things. So the idea is leadership, no matter what it is, always costs you something. And then listen to what John Phillips said. God has called Abraham, and we'll see in a minute that Abraham was a heathen, and he came from a heathen family. And so in the Old Testament sense, he was saved. And so listen to what John Phillips said. He said, the call to salvation is always followed by the call to separation. The call to salvation is always followed by the call to separation. You remember what the Bible says? You have in, in the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are all doctrinal about how to get saved and where we fit in God's plan. Then chapter 12, what's it say? I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies. A... You see, leadership always costs you something. God calls us to salvation, then he always calls us to separation. Now, I want us to look at the specific things that God told him to separate from. And then I want you to think about your own life and see what God has done with you. Now, some of you are in this process and God is calling you to separation. Others of you have already separated and you didn't even know why. It's so cool. So let's look at it. The first thing that he said, he said, separate from, he says, get thee out. We're in verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, of thy country, out of thy country. Well, why, why did he tell him to do that? Look at Hebrews. Keep your place in Genesis, of course. Hebrews chapter 11. I want you to see something. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. What I love about the New Testament is it explains to us what happened in the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, the New Testament is the commentary on the Old Testament. So look at verse 8. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. So he got to go to this place that later he was going to receive for inheritance. Obeyed. And he went out not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob. That's tents. With Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. What was he doing? Now, we understand historically that the city with a foundation whose builder and maker is God, we think of heaven. He's thinking of Jerusalem, and that's what God is speaking of there, right? That physical city of Jerusalem. It's not a spiritual promise. It's a physical promise of a piece of dirt that God is giving them. And we're still dealing with that today. That's what's going on. But what about you? What about you? How many of you, when you got saved, God started working in your life, all of a sudden you are in a different physical location than you ever thought you'd be. I never thought I'd be living in Ohio. Love y'all. I didn't know the first thing about Ohio. Nothing. I knew nothing. Somebody was, uh, that was Patrick. We, he was telling me he loves Ohio State, and he's telling me about these teams from, you know, he's like 70, so he was showing me these teams from the 60s or something, and he's naming these players I've never heard of. I've never heard of these guys because I never followed Ohio State until I moved here. I never thought that I would be here. But what God does when he saves us and he calls us, sometimes he keeps us right in our own community, but other times he's going to take us someplace else. 
is going to take us someplace else. What's the spiritual application from this? If you're too attached to a specific place, you might not be in God's plan for your life. All right? So he said, get thee out of thy country. And then look at what he says. We're, still in, we're back in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said unto Abraham, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred. Now, how many of you, don't raise your hands, wish you could get away from your kindred? You know, you can pick your friends, but you're stuck with your relatives, right? The, the, look at what this says. From thy kindred. Do you know what he was telling Abraham? You have a new family now. I am going to build from you a new race of people, a new family. It's a new physical family, but you understand it's also a new spiritual family because the Bible says later on in the book of Romans that there are physical Jews and there are spiritual Jews. So he was establishing a physical family for them and a spiritual family. When you get saved, whether you're married or you get married later, God's going to give you a physical family that it is your responsibility to have them become a spiritual family. And you are supposed to lead them to follow the Lord as a biblical leader does. Now listen to what God said about family. Matthew chapter 12, verse 48 says, But he answered and said unto him that told him, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same is my mother and my sister, or my brother and sister and mother. You know, you know what I want you to know? you got a new family now. Is there anybody here that's saved? Anybody here saved? You've got a new family when you're saved. Now let me ask you this question. How many of you, when you got saved, your physical family was holding you back from growing? It's just true. It happens. It happens. So sometimes God says, you have got to leave your family. All right? That's what he's saying here. Um, Jesus said it this way in Luke 14. If any man come to me and hate not his father and his mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. What Jesus is saying there, is you have to have so much love for me and be willing to follow me. This is what Jesus said. That the difference is so much that it's the difference between love and hatred. That's how much you're supposed to be willing to follow God. I got to tell you, when my dad decided to become a preacher, his parents thought he hated him. Because he went a completely different direction. They disowned him. Had nothing to do with him. I hardly saw them for my whole life. I'm so glad my dad chose to serve the Lord. I get to marry godly women. I have godly children. I get to pastor wonderful people. Because my dad was willing to leave his own country. He was willing to leave his kindred. Now look at what it says. 12 verse 2, verse 1 again. And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house. See that it says that? And from thy father's 
house. We've always been. You fill in the blank. We've always been. What, what is your heritage? What is your spiritual heritage? We say it this way in our Operation Go. What's your church background? How'd you grow? Now, for me, I grew up a Baptist. All right? So I'm glad that I had the godly heritage. My dad's a preacher. Mom loves the Lord. Mom and dad got saved. They met in Bible college, and you know, we were able to be raised in a godly home. Isn't that? I just love that. And I, I'm so glad I get to provide that for my kids. So I didn't have to leave my father's house. But you might have to leave your father's house. I want you to see something that's interesting. Look at um, Joshua chapter 24. What's the best commentary on Scripture? All right, so let's see what God's talking about here. Joshua chapter 24. I love doing these studies for you because I learned so much stuff that I don't know. I didn't know this. Look at this. This is chapter 24, and we're going to look at verse 2. Joshua 24, 2. And Joshua said unto all the people, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time. Then he says this, look at Even Terah, the father of Abraham, and the father of Nacor, and they served other gods. And they served other gods. I want you to think about something. Now, who's Nacor? Nacor is either Abraham's grandfather or his brother. They had the same name. It's Nahor. It's Nacor here. Same person. So it's either his grandfather or his brother. And they were idolaters. They were idolaters. And so God told them to leave them. You've got to get away from them. Nearness is likeness. When you stay under the influence of false religion, you can't break away. You can't become what God wants you to be when you are in the grasp of false religion. I just saw Maureen shaking her head. And I remember early on in her walk, now those, those were steps that she had to, to, to comprehend, to understand. Some of the things that she had thought might not be true. And we've all been there, right? As we, we become more exposed to the Word of God, all of us get to the place where we realize that we've been under some false assumptions. And we've got to leave that. We've got to leave that. So God told him to get thee out. So leadership is always going to cost you something. Then, letter B, I like this part. So let's go back to Genesis chapter 12. God says, I will. God is going to tell him now what he's going to do. God's told Abraham, these are some things that you have to do. Now I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. So here's another leadership principle. Leadership is knowing who to trust. Leadership is knowing who to trust. You know, there are some people, if they told me to leave my house and go and do something, I'm going to say, get out of here. I do not trust you. Some politician tells you to do something. What's the old joke? How do you know when a politician's lying? When his lips are moving, right? You don't trust politics. What do you trust? You trust the Word of God. Now, look at the things that God told him he was going to do. This is what's called the Abrahamic Covenant. The Abrahamic Covenant. And this is an unconditional covenant. These are things that God says he's going to do. So there are seven specific things listed here that God says he's going to do for Abraham. So let's just look at them quickly. Verse 2. 
And, and, and you know what you might want to do is take the time to go through your Bible, maybe not right now, but another time, and look at the things where God says, I will. I will. Now, is God going to lie? So if he says, I will, is he going to do it? Okay, so here's some things that God says he's going to do. There are seven of them. He says, I will make... He says, oh, oh wait a minute, I missed one, of those, one thing. I missed one thing under the last point. He tells him to get out of his country, get, leave his kindred, leave his father's house, and look at the end of verse 12, or verse 1 of chapter 12. And he says, unto a land that I will show thee. So he's telling him to go to a place. Yeah, I'll tell you later where it is. Now, I've got to tell you, personality-wise, I'm fine with that. Spontaneity is great. My wife, at this point, is having a nervous breakdown. She wants to know where she's going, what time we're getting there, what's the plan. How many of you are you're like that? Can you imagine? Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to move. Where are we going to? I'll tell you later. Well, how will I know whether or not that's going to work out good for me? I guess you better know who to trust. All right? So I love that. Okay, so now, letter B. Here's what God's going to do. So he says in verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation. So that's the first thing he's going to do. He says, I will make of thee a great nation. How was that fulfilled? Well, three ways. Three ways. This is fun. I like this. Of course, through the Hebrew people. They became a great nation, and they still are. Then through the Arabic people, through Ishmael. Look at uh, Genesis chapter 17. Um, in verse 18. Oh, that's why it's the wrong one. I was looking at chapter 18. That's not working. 17, verse 18. Abraham fell on his face. Um, look at verse 18. Abraham said unto God, O that Ishmael might live before thee. And God said, Sarah thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. So God's identifying that his covenant is with Isaac. Then verse 12. And as for Ishmael, I have heard thee. Behold, I have blessed him and will make him fruitful and will multiply him exceedingly. Twelve princes shall he beget and I will make him a great nation. So God made Isaac a great nation. God made Ishmael a great nation. And then I want you to look at Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. Look at verse 6. Even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness... Know ye therefore that they which are of faith, the same are the children of Abraham? What does the Bible say to us in First Peter? You're a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So here are three nations that come from Abraham. Number one, children of Israel. Number two, the Arab nation. Number three, believers, the church. All traced back to Abraham. Did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? I'll make of thee a great nation. Part number two, go back to Genesis chapter 12. 
got to know who to trust. That's leadership. God's promises are true. You can believe them. I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee. God blessed him physically. Genesis 13, 15, 24. They show how he was a very wealthy man. He had 300 trained soldiers in his own, in his own compound. That's pretty cool. Fighting men. First World War. All right? Then, spiritually, he made him great. He said, I'll bless thee. He made him great physically. He made him great spiritually. Then, number three. So he said, I will make of thee a great nation. I will uh, bless thee. And then he said, I will make thy name great. Thy name great. Abraham is universally honored. It doesn't matter whether you're Muslim or whether you're Jewish. They're going to call you There are people named Abraham. So he is greatly respected. And even today, even today, people are named after Abraham. How many of you know anybody named Herod? This is my son, Herod. Uh, Pilate, don't forget to take out the trash. Isn't it interesting how people who claim to not believe the Bible actually do? Amen? Universally accepted. I'll make it thee a great name. Um, then, he says, And thou shalt be a blessing. And thou shalt be a blessing. How is he going to be? He had blessed him, and then he's going to be a blessing. You know that that's what happens to you when you get saved? God blesses you so that you can be a blessing to someone else. What's, what's that song say? Make me a blessing. Make me a blessing to someone else. Um, John Leesner was a blessing to me this week. Wrote an article, a, a letter to the editor. How many of you saw the letter to the editor about Grace Baptist Church? Nathan and I. He talked about what a blessing we are. Now, he wasn't really telling the truth, but we're thankful <laughs> that, that it, it was in there. Isn't that, that was a great blessing to me. He blessed Pastor Nathan and I. Wasn't that a blessing to you to see that? Man, you can be a blessing to someone else. You really can. Look at, look at uh, Galatians chapter 3. Verse 13. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. That God blessed the whole world through Abraham. He made him a blessing, Abrahamic covenant. Then, then, number five, he says this, I will bless them that bless thee. I will bless them that bless thee. We've talked about that greatly. The United States of America has been blessed because of our support for Israel. Uh, all the way back in the 1600s when the pogroms were going on and, and the Catholics are killing Jews all over the world. They came to New York and Paul Stuyvesant ran them out. He said, we don't want those filthy people here. Well, they had heard that there was a place in Rhode Island where maybe they'd be safe. And John Clark gave the Jews religious liberty. The Torah synagogue, they built it in the 1700s. It's the oldest synagogue in America. You can go see it. And they finally found a place where they were free. And God, from that moment, began blessing the United States of America, even before we were the United States of America. I will bless them that bless thee, and I'll curse them that curse thee. That's the next promise. Look at the diaspora. When the children of Israel have been scattered around the world, those people that have blessed Israel and the Jews have been blessed. How's Palestine? It's a mess. It's a mess. It's a mess. Hey, how's, how about Portugal? 
That uh, we, we, I'm just telling you, economically, politically, it's a mess. It, it's destroyed. And I want you to think about something else. After the Balfour Declaration, when Lord Balfour gave the nation of Israel, it gave them their land back. During World War II, the nation, England decided that because of the unrest that was going on in Palestine, they were in the war, they were going to stop supporting Israel. So there were ships of people that were coming to Israel that they sent back, and those people ended up in the ovens in Germany because of England, because of Winston Churchill. Did you know that right then the sun set on the British Empire? 1905, they controlled almost 80% of the globe. 1940, they're done. They're done. There's a shadow of what they once were. I'll bless them that bless thee and curse them that curse thee. Number six, or number seven, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Of course, the Messiah Messiah would bless all nations. So that's Abraham's call. Let's look at Abraham's character. Abraham's character. And this is such an important thing. All right? Is everybody with me? Everybody awake? We doing good? I want you to see this. Abraham's character. Look at what goes on. The first thing that we're going to look at is his response. His response. So we're in Genesis chapter 12. God tells him, get thee out. But look at chapter 11 and verse 31. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife. And they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. What happened? What happened? Abraham obeyed, just not right away. He went, he, there were three things that he was supposed to do. He was supposed to leave his country. He did that, but he went to Haran. Haran means, means uh, parched. God wants to take him to a place of blessing. He goes to a place that's parched. How many of you ever went to a place that God, you knew that God wanted you to do one thing, you did something else and you found it parched. Has that ever happened to you? Yeah, I think most of us can say that. Now look at what happens. He goes there and look who he's with. He's with his father. And he's with Lot. God told him to leave his father's house and told him to leave his kindred. He did not obey God. And he's there for five years. Now, wait a minute. Keep your place here. Go to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance. What's it say there? He obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. The New Testament doesn't record Abraham believed God and it was kind of righteousness. God washed that sin away. It's gone. How did he become the friend of God? Because as he grew in learning who to trust, he began obeying God more and more and more. That's what God wants us to do. See, we think that here's this great man. Do you understand that no great man begins as a great man? 
I like the statement, behind every great man is a surprised mother-in-law. <laughs> and all the men said, amen. That's true. All right. So now I like this. Do you know what Tara's name means? It means delay. His dad's name means delay. Get away from your dad. That's what he told him to do. And he didn't do it. So the idea is this. Look at his response. Leadership acts out what it is believing. Leadership acts out what it is believing. You're going to lead your family to do what you really believe. You might say you believe something, but what you have them do demonstrates what you really believe. Uh, 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 Oz Guinness said it this way. What faith is asking reveals what faith is believing. Right? And so he just goes up to, he goes up to Haran rather than going where God had told him to do. Abraham's response to God's call was partial and slow. In Isaiah 51, 2, it says this, Look unto Abraham your father and unto Sarah that bear you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. He had called him alone. Do you know sometimes God wants you to do something alone? He wants you to get away from your family and do what he wants you to do. Now, of course, I'm for family. I kind of like mine. But imagine... Imagine if I had refused to move away from my immediate family, I never would have become your pastor. I couldn't be here. God, in order to use you, sometimes has to separate you from your family. Um, but I want you to look at his pattern. This will help you. I think this is going to help you guys so much, and I think you'll find yourself in it. I want you to see his pattern. God blessed Abraham, and his response was worship. Look at Genesis chapter 12. And look at verse 7. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east side of Bethel and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and Hai on the east. And there he built an altar unto the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. So he built an altar and he's worshiping God. How many of you think that's the proper response to God's blessing? Amen. God blessed him and he responded in worship. And then he starts to go where God wants him to go. And I want you to see what happens. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of, of Sychem, unto the plain of Moreh, and the Canaanite was then in the land. Look at verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. So what does he get when he gets to the land where God's leading him? Emptiness and enemies. Wait a minute. I thought when God led me and I went, it was all going to be great. Easy. Isn't it interesting how we just expect things from God that he never promised us? Any of you, you began serving God, all gung-ho, and all of a sudden you ran into that wall. There was trouble. Any of you? That happened to you? Right? So what did he do? He went to Egypt. I mentioned this in my Sunday school class. I want you to track it down in the Bible. Anytime anyone moves 
for financial reasons, for financial reasons alone, it always ends up bad for them. And I know, I know, I had this thought as I was writing that down in my notes. Some of you might say, well, wait a minute, I came here for financial reasons and look what God did for us. That's called grace. Amen? That's grace. But now that you know better, I've got a great idea. Let's leave Grace Baptist Church and discipleship in our children's ministries, the preaching of the word, a body that loves us that we can be involved in, Let's move for an extra $10,000 a year to a place where there's not a Bible preaching church, where there's not discipleship, where there's not a ministry for your children like this. I've had so many people say they're, they're moving. Well, we checked. There's good churches there. Have you been to these good churches? They're not so good. Oh, God will provide. Oh, God will provide there, but not here. Now, I'm not saying that it's never God's will for someone to move. But I'm saying this. Just because life gets hard, it doesn't mean that you should move. I can't tell you how many people I know all my life. This principle that I'm giving you, some of you have heard me say it before. I began hearing it as a child. And I can't tell you how many people that I have witnessed who move and they lose their families. They they lose their marriages because the core that God was building in their lives, they went away from it. Do you understand that many times when you move away from where God is working in your life, that you are running away from the Holy Spirit of God? And that's what he did. So here's what we have. He has worship and then wandering. And then wandering. He goes down there and he tells a half-truth by calling Sarah his sister. And it causes trouble. So you have worship. And then wandering. And then wanting. In Genesis chapter 15, he doesn't have a son. God has promised him a son and he doesn't have it. And so his, his God... Do you understand that you can have a righteous desire? Had God given him the desire for a son? Absolutely. He gave him the promise. You can take a righteous desire and turn it into idolatry, turn it into sin. So he wanders again, and he takes Hagar, his wife's handmaid, has a baby with her, and we're still... Anyone remember 9-11? We're still dealing with the ramifications of that wandering today. But this is the guy that's called the friend of God. He's the friend of God. How many of you began in worship and then you wandered some? Seriously, would you raise your hand? Like three? Apparently, everyone here is just perfect. I can tell you this. It happened with me. Wandered in my heart. Just wandered. I wandered. God still had a plan for him. He still had a plan. He bring. This, can I show you something that's wild to me? Look at chapter 18. Remember, this is the person that we're talking about. He's sinned with Hagar. He has gone down to Egypt. He did come back to the land. Look at chapter 18. This is when God comes. God himself comes. Verse 1. And the Lord appeared unto him. All right? So the Lord comes to him. And now he's walking to Sodom and Gomorrah. He tells him they're going to have the baby. His wife laughs because she's old. She's old. 
And uh, so now look at what it says in verse uh, 16. And the men arose up from thence and looked toward Sodom. And Abraham went with them to bring them on the way. And the Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? And look at what he says. Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I know him, that he will command his children and his household after him. And they shall keep the way of the Lord and do justice and judgment, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he had spoken of him. You want to know something? God has a plan for you. Is there anyone here that's saved? If, you, if you're born again, would you raise your hand? You're saved. God has a plan for you. I wish that you understood all that God has for you. We live in this mediocre Christianity, this, this not hot nor cold, we're just there, when God has greatness for us. We just don't believe that. Every man in here, God wants you to be a great leader. And when He saved you, He gifted you to become that. You've got to claim that. He has it for you. So his pattern is worship and wandering, then wanting, then wandering again, and then worship. Look at how he's grown. Look at chapter 22. Genesis chapter 22, verse 1. They've had the baby. And remember what Sarah did when she heard that she was going to have the baby and she's old? What did she do? She laughed. Then when she had the baby, you know what she named him? Laughter. That's what Isaac means. Can you imagine the joy that Isaac brought to Abraham and Sarah? Can you imagine? I know the joy that my kids have brought to my life. I, know the, the, I, I can imagine the joy that your kids have brought to your life. Imagine that. Now look at Genesis chapter 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. And he did it. Maybe you love your kids. Can you even imagine this? And I've got to tell you, none of us, none of us went through what Abraham did to have a child. Maybe have a child when they're 100. None of us have experienced what he went through. And God tells him to offer him as a sacrifice. And he does. Do you know what that is? That's worship. The difference in his worship here and his worship in Genesis chapter 12 is maturity. See, all of us can worship God when he blesses us. Few of us can worship him when he calls us to sacrifice. That's genuine worship. This is Abraham's character. How could he do it? How could he do this? Well, this is Abraham's challenge. Number three for you, Abraham's challenge. How was Abraham able to become the friend of God? James 2.23 calls him that. And do the things that God had promised.
Can I show you how he can do it? How many of you really wonder, how in the world could you do that? Seriously. You wonder that? Jesus tells us. Look at John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Look at verse 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. That's an amazing verse. Remember, the, 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 the disciples did not understand God's plan for Jesus Christ. They didn't get it. He told Peter what it was. And he said, God forbid, be it not so. And Jesus said, get behind me, Satan. They didn't get it. He had to open their understanding. The Bible says that God showed his day to Abraham. How did he show him? Sarah's womb was barren. It was dead. God made life come from that. God had told him to sacrifice his son. And he takes his son up there. He has his son bring the wood that he was going to burn him, be burned on. He was ready to do it because he believed in the resurrection. He told the men that were there holding the horses, Hey, wait for us. We are coming back. So he either believed that God was going to do something else or he believed that God would resurrect him. Either way, he believed God. Leadership is knowing who to believe. So God revealed to him. God, he, he saw what was going to happen. He saw the kingdom. How do I know that he saw the kingdom? Because look at what he says. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. And he saw it and was glad. What is the day of the Lord? It's the day that he returns and establishes his kingdom. And Abraham had confidence that God was going to do that for him. So how could he do it? Because of the revealed word of God. So how are you going to do it? What do I do when my hopes don't come true? See, I look out here and I know that for many of you, life has not worked out the way that you thought it was going to. You thought it was going to be different. You thought it was going to be different. There's pain. There's sickness. There's financial trouble. Some of you have had family members do things to you that were not even imaginable. It's not the way that you thought it was going to work out. You thought life was going to be different. And you go to God and you say, God, I thought this was going to happen. Do you remember what Peter did? Peter denied Jesus because everything that he thought was going to happen, it turned out different. He thought the kingdom was being established. He said, let's build three tabernacles because he thought the kingdom was starting. And now here's Jesus. He's dying. Everything that he believed in, everything that he hoped for was falling apart. How about you? could be that you thought your marriage was going to be one way, and it's not. Your career, you, you thought that you'd have this happen, and you're not where you thought you'd be. 
what do you do? Just cry out to Jesus. Hold on. Do you know what we need to remember? Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Where I go and the way you go, you don't know. You don't know. But we have the revealed word of God. And I can promise you this. The Bible says this. That if you serve him, he'll give you the desires of your heart. It's interesting. The Bible says right after the text we read in Hebrews about Abraham, it says these all died in faith, never having received the promise. Abraham saw it spiritually, but he never experienced it physically. He never saw the kingdom. He never saw the great nation. He never saw it happen. They were still living in tents, nomads, when Abraham was taken away. What are you dreaming of? What is there that you, you said, I thought it was going to be different. I, I don't understand, God. I wish I could start listing things that I know are going on in your lives. I'm not going to. I wouldn't do that to you. But I can promise you this. God hasn't left you. He said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He said, I'll be the friend sticketh closer than a brother. He said that he is going to be with us. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world, the end of the age. Is that true? What can separate us from the love of God? Not height, nor depth, nor principalities, nor powers, nor think rulers of darkness in high places. None of these things. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. And yet we're wondering, why isn't my life working out the way I wanted it, God? I'm so confused. I, I can't even pray. Cry out to Jesus. He's there. His ears not turned from you that he can't hear. We've not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. But was, but was tempted like as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. We can find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Strength to help. Cry out to him. And we're so proud. We make our plans. We make our plans, and that's fine. The prudent man seeth trouble afar off and hideth himself from it. It's great to make plans. You're supposed to do that. But what do you do when they don't work out the way you anticipated? Anybody plan for cancer? And, you know, I think of some of our ladies who they plan their retirement and their husband dies. What do you do? Has God forsaken you? Has he left you? Cry out to Jesus. Can you imagine if Abraham had done that instead of going into Hagar? We wouldn't have the mess and the destruction. Imagine if Lot had stayed in Ur and hadn't come with him. We wouldn't have had the Moabites and the Ammonites and the enemies and all the destruction that happened in Israel. Thousands and thousands and thousands of people dying. We've got to hold on. We have to believe. That's what leadership is. It's leading your family to believe the promises of God 
even when surrounding circumstances seem like everything is wrong. What are you believing? What are you believing? I promise you, He won't fail you. He can't fail. He can't fail. He loves you. Cry out to Jesus. We need to be like He was and look for the city whose builder and maker is God. What have we learned from Abraham? Leadership always costs something. Leadership is knowing who to trust. And leadership acts out what it's believing. What are you believing today? You need to be like the Word of God and say, but I believe God. Dear Heavenly Father, help us. Help us to be like Abraham.